This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Guys, I want to, um, we gotta, we got to jump right in, and uh, we're going into part four of Ghost Stories. And um, as you see on the screen, you can follow along with the notes, or it was just on the screen, with the uh, Uversion Bible app. You can follow along the notes on there. You'll also find in your service guide, uh, there is a note sheet there as well. We have been talking for three weeks up till now, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about how this is a sensitive subject in many Christian circles. There's a lot of confusion. There's even contention and strife over the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And... The world has all these crazy ideas when you talk about the Holy Ghost because of things that they don't understand, they're just ignorant of, don't know, haven't been exposed to, or maybe it was something weird that they were experienced to, and so they, you know, have this negative connotation uh, when it comes to the Holy Spirit. So we've talked about how, you know, much of the, the spirit-filled life is foolishness to the world and those who have been taught against it and, um, and those who are just, like I said, simply ignorant of it. And so next week, we're going to need to conclude this series, and uh, there is much more to be said. We could, we could talk about this for a year, um, but, uh, but we can't do that at this point. Uh, but I will answer some more of the questions. Week one, I told you a lot of the questions that I was going to answer. I've answered uh, a lot of those. We'll continue answering them. Here's something that we're going to do. Um, with that said, next week, uh, I'm, I am going to answer a few more questions, but I'm also going to have... A couple of people, a few people tell their stories, share their experiences um, about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, we're also going to have a little panel. My, me and my dad and Shauna are going to answer questions that you guys may have that we haven't been able to answer in this series. So if you would put the title screen up, Titus, you'll see at the bottom of it, um, there it is. Nope, that's last week's title slide. That's not this week's. Uh, you can email, send your email questions. You can even do it right now. If you have a question, send it to question at harvestob, harvestolibranch.org. Question at harvestob.org. Anybody writing that down? See a few of you. Any questions you have, anything it may be regarding the Holy Spirit, his role in our lives, um, you know, who he is. Uh, maybe about things that you've seen and experienced and didn't understand. Um, we want to be able to answer those questions. So hopefully as they're back there scrambling to, to find that, it'll be on the screen in a minute. But question, just send it to question at harvestob.org. And uh, we may or may not be able to answer all of them depending on how many there are. But, um, but I'm sure some of them will be similar and so we'll, uh, we'll give it our best shot. So... Um, so anyway, we're also, don't forget that next Sunday night, following that, we're going to have the night of worship, as was mentioned, and, and uh, from what I understand, it's going to be a little bit of a kind of an unplugged set, and so uh, it's uh, going to be, it's going to be kind of neat, but, uh, but I encourage you guys to come, especially with expectancy, if, if you have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you're ready, you're ready for the, His touch in your life, you're ready for that empowerment that Jesus talked about, we want you to come to that night of worship and believe that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is going to be here in a powerful way, and he's going to touch your life like you've never been touched before. Amen? So with that said, um, I'm going to do the quickest recap ever. As I said, this message is built one week after another. Week one, we debunk three myths. One is the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not some weird force or anything else. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is just as much God as the Father and as Jesus. 
Second myth we debunked was that he only shows up when he feels like it. That was kind of more Old Testament where that comes from. Today, since Jesus died, since he won the victory, he is our atonement. Since then, the Holy Spirit is the seal of our salvation. He is with us absolutely all the time, ready to work and move as we submit ourselves to him. And the third thing, third myth we debunked was that he's only present when you feel him. The Holy Spirit is not goosebumps. He's not a feeling. While he does make himself felt at times, we don't have to feel him to know that he's present and ready to work. Amen? Week two, we talked about what is the role of the Holy Spirit. We said his role has always been to draw mankind, all of mankind, to the Father. Everything he does points to the Father through Jesus. And I gave you two things. Primarily, number one, it's convict the world of sin. Every person that's ever come to Christ, the Holy Spirit has been drawing them their whole life, and they finally respond to that call. So his first thing is to convict the world of sin. Secondly, is to equip the believer to fulfill their purpose. How many of you know, if you're a believer in here, that you have a purpose It's not to wake up in the morning, go to work, come home, go to bed, and repeat. There's more to this life. The Holy Spirit enables us to live in victory over sin. He produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The Bible says he brings back to our remembrance all the things that Jesus taught. He can lead you into his specific will for your life. He helps us to pray. He's a revealer of truth. He reveals us the things to come. He speaks. He guides. He warns. He encourages. He delivers on God's promises in our lives. And he's a gift giver. And then last week... I told you that most of the Christian church, they would agree with most of those things today. Where does the contention lie? The contention lies, it starts in Acts chapter 2. It starts on the day of Pentecost. And last week we talked about the feast, the feast of, what's the first one? What's the first feast? Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. We broke that down and talked about that. And so I answered a few questions. What is Pentecost? Pentecost just simply means 50th. Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, came 50 days after um, the end of uh, the Feast of Passover. Uh, Second question was, what happened on the day of Pentecost? We know there was 120 believers, followers of Jesus, that were praying together, and suddenly there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It says the Holy Spirit descended. Tongues of fire appeared on their heads. They also speak in other languages. Outside, you have all these Jews from all over who have come to experience, come to to, uh, uh, celebrate the Feast of uh, Pentecost, and they all hear the wonderful works of God in their own native language. We know at that point, Peter steps outside, he preaches the first message about Jesus, and three thousand people come to Christ that day. And then the third question we answered last week was, can I experience the, the can I experience Pentecost? Can I experience what the 120 experienced on that day 2,000 years ago? And the few things I told you, I, there's, there's so many things to look at, but there were 120 people in that room. Many people say only the apostles um, were filled with the Holy Spirit. Only they were able to move in the gifts of the Spirit. But we see that 120 people were there and they received the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we know that there were men and there were women. And they, it says that they all had a tongue of fire on their head. And it says they all spoke with other tongues. We prove through Scripture that um, through the words of Jesus himself that the Holy Spirit baptism was separate from salvation and from water baptism. And Jesus talks about the promise of the Father. We showed in Scripture the promise of the Father was the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And he said it's for you and for your children and all your descendants and all those who are far off. And so we saw Peter, he commanded 3,000 people to repent, to be baptized and be water, and to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We see Paul, he's asking these followers of Jesus if they've received the Holy Spirit since they believed. It said that they had not. He laid hands on them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to prophesy. And so we wrapped up last week agreeing that we experience the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover, 
That, that happened when Jesus died and happened in your life when you received him as your Lord and Savior. We will experience the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles on the day when the trumpet sounds and, uh, and we stand in the presence of God for all eternity. And thus, it would be foolish to think that we can't also experience the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost. Do you guys agree with that? So before I jump into I do want to talk about the gifts of the Spirit today. But before I do that, there was a question I meant to answer last week. And that question is, is someone saved if they do not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The reason, yeah, some people automatically say yes, but the reason I ask this question is because I have a friend that once believed and had been taught that he was not saved because he had not received and been filled with the Holy Spirit. And his story, he had begged, he had gone to the altar so many times and begged to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he felt he never had been. Actually, he was told by a relative that because there was no evidence, he had not been filled, and thus he was not saved. Guys, it's bad theology. I actually repented to him. He was not a part of our church, but I repented on behalf of the body of Christ. Because <laughs> uh, I know that he loves the Lord. I believe that he's saved. So, people use Peter's words when he says to repent, to be baptized in water, and to be uh, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so since Peter says that, since he says to repent, since he says to be baptized in water, since he says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, well, then we'll have to ask the next question. Don't anybody stone me. Are you saved if you don't get baptized in water? I have a teacher from back in the day at, at Christ for the Nations years ago that, man, I hope he doesn't listen to this because he's going to disagree with me adamantly. Hey, guys, baptism in water is not what saves you. Baptism in the Holy Spirit is not what saves you. It's believing, repenting, and surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus that saves us. If you remember, we talked about how some places in Scripture where it talks about baptism and some of the Scriptures they use to say you have to be baptized. Um, some of those places, baptism of the Holy Spirit is referring to salvation sometimes because it's the Holy Spirit that draws us. And we respond and he immerses us into God's kingdom. It's considered a baptism when we receive Christ, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So that is what saves us. And we are not under the law. I mean, look, is water baptism a command? Absolutely. Is spirit baptism a command? Yes, actually it is. Is living a life of righteousness free from sin a command? How many of you have violated that today? I, we do not live under the law. We live in the dispensation of grace. And so with that said, I can't believe that, say, the end of this service, somebody truly repents and they give their life to Jesus. They surrender. And maybe they even go out to the connection desk and they sign up to be part of the next baptism. But they pass away before that can happen. So they're going to flip side. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. Now here's the flip side. Baptism is a command. It's a command. Being water baptized, making that de public declaration of your faith, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it's a command. And there are people out there who won't do it because they're afraid of being wet in front of a crowd and their makeup running and... Your Savior hung naked on a cross for you. 
make the public declaration of your faith, obey the command, and get water baptized, identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In the same way, accept the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People who aren't, you know, who aren't open, even open to it, you know, I would, if you're not even open to getting in God's word and seeing what it is that he asks of you in your life, you need to question whether or not your heart is truly surrendered to him. Amen? So, uh, to answer the question, I do not believe that being baptized in the Holy Spirit, I don't believe that you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be saved. I do think that if you're not, I think you're missing something important. And um, I believe that, you know, it can hold you back to a certain extent from prospering in every area of your life that God has for you, uh, from being as effective for the Lord as you could be. It's a wonderful gift, an empowering gift from the Lord, but it doesn't bring salvation. And as, as a matter of fact, it you can say salvation is a prerequisite for being filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so anyway, hopefully that answers that question. And if, um, if you adamantly disagree with me, we can talk afterwards. Please don't shout me down. So, so we've talked about what happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. My question is, so what happened after that? I mean, what a day it was. They see the Holy Spirit descend. They see the tongues of fire. They see this gift. They see tongues. They see all these things happen. They see 3,000 people come to Christ, water baptized, spirit baptized. And guess what? Most of that 120, it was time to go home and go back to work and go on about their everyday life. There was a lot of people up there besides the apostles. You guys remember in Acts chapter 1, just before this, just before Jesus ascended into heaven, um, he gives what we call the Great Commission, right? He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, in Mark chapter 16, I'm, I'm going to read a couple passages here real quick before we really get into this. But in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, they're standing there. Jesus is getting ready to ascend. And he says, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will cast out demons. Guys, if you don't believe there's still demons at work in the earth today, your eyes are shut. Says they will speak in new tongues. Says they will pick up serpents with their hands. This isn't talking about some backwoods Appalachia church somewhere doing some deadly poison. It's not going to harm them. They lay hands on the sick. When they, they will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. And then if you look in Luke, he, he says a little bit more about what is said in that moment. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, And behold, I am sending the promise. What was the promise? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. I'm going to read it to you from the New Living real quick. It says, now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. i got to imagine if I was the disciples and Jesus just said that, I'd be wondering what exactly he's talking about. I mean, they've seen Jesus and his power and what he did, but until he fills me with power. I can only imagine they were wondering what this power looked like and how it was going to function and how this was all going to work. And so, 10 days later, they begin to find out. Day of Pentecost, they've waited 10 days like Jesus said in the city. Holy Spirit descends, fills them. They speak in other tongues. 3,000 come to Christ, that whole thing. But that, from that point onward, we see the church, they are walking in the power and authority of the Holy Spirit from that day onward. So, Understand this, when Jesus walked the earth, you guys know, hopefully everybody believes that he is the Messiah, and even when he walked the earth, he was fully God, right? 
He's also fully man, correct? So Jesus had to come, God had to come as a man. Man was one who committed sin, who violated God's law, right? Had to come as a man, so he had to lay his deity down. Doesn't mean he still wasn't the son of God. He just laid all his power down. You realize that Jesus is a man there, he had no power. He had none. He had no more power than you and I. What he came to do had to be done as a human. The signs and wonders he did were done by the Holy Spirit. You ever thought of that? He laid his deity down. Everything he did was done by the Holy Spirit flowing through him. That's why the Spirit-filled believer, Jesus said, we can do the same works and greater works than he did. Jesus as a person, as a man, could only minister to one person at a time. We know that he spoke to crowds, but he could only touch and heal one person at a time. But from this point in Acts chapter 2, suddenly there's thousands of people just like Nimrodus, walking around, sharing the good news, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. And other things begin to follow. So besides what we see initially, we see the tongues of fire, we see them speaking other tongues, and these, these are some of the first signs we see. Another one of the first signs we see on that day is just the miracle of Peter standing before a crowd of 3,000. Guys, he was bold. He, he accused them, this crowd, who knows how many, we know 3,000 came to Christ. We don't know how many were there total. He stands there and he accuses them of murdering the Messiah. If the Holy Spirit wasn't there doing the work in that moment, he'd have been stoned. He'd have been dead. The Jews weren't going to put up with that. So we see Peter boldly stepping out. Also remember that 64 days earlier, he had denied even knowing Jesus. This wasn't normal old Peter. Something had changed. He had the power that Jesus promised that we just read about in that last in that last scripture. So over the next few days, weeks, and months, they began to see other works of the Holy Spirit to the point that they began to have to teach on it. And that's where we get what we know from the New Testament. Uh, the rest of the message today is going to be from 1 Corinthians 12. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. And we know that uh, Paul is writing to, um, to the church in Corinth. And I'll just read you verse 1 real quick. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren... I do not want you to be ignorant. Other versions say, I don't want you to be unaware. It'll say, I don't want you to be uninformed. But he says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Now, the word spiritual there is, just to eliminate confusion, it's that same word, pneuma, that we've talked about for three weeks. It means wind. It means breath of God. It's the same word it's used in referring to the Holy Spirit. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, ignorant here doesn't mean stupid. Ignorant just means you don't know, right? We're all ignorant of things sometimes. Um, so he said, I don't want you to be ignorant. I want you to understand. So in this chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he begins to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Not to be confused with what we talked about two weeks ago, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace. Y'all know fruit of the Spirit. Not to be confused. This is totally different. And so... Um, so in that, I, actually I told you guys, I've told you guys each week, if uh, you have more questions about the Holy Spirit, I encourage you to read the book, The God I Never Knew. 
And um, there was something I'd picked up from that book when I read it a few years ago that I'd forgotten about, that actually 1 Corinthians was not actually Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. We see that there's, if you look in there, there's actually reference to another uh, first writing Paul had written about when he, he says something about when I wrote you previously. And there's a reference to them writing him back. He's sitting in prison, okay? And so 1 Corinthians is probably really 2nd or 3rd Corinthians, but I don't know. They didn't make the cut for the canon. I don't know. But we start with 1 Corinthians, okay? And so when he says here, when he says here in verse 1, Concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be ignorant, or if you look at um, the New Living, it says, actually says, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. So can we see here that Paul is answering a question for the church in Corinth? Things were happening. Evidently, the Holy Spirit was doing some stuff, and people were doing some stuff by the Holy Spirit, and they needed some more information. And so they write to Paul and say, Paul, what's up with all this? And so that's when he goes in in, in chapter 12 and begins, because they ask about the special, I love that, the special abilities the Spirit gives us. We talked about that week two, week one, about how in the Old Testament the Holy Spirit would come upon someone to empower them to do something God had called them to do, and after time it would lift, and they would no longer have that ability. Now you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and always be able to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. So he begins to talk about these gifts. So there's, he talks about these nine, as it says, special abilities of the Spirit. And these are generally called, they're called the manifestational gifts. And if you don't know what the word manifest means, it just simply means to make known, okay? To, be made, to make known. So to make God known in the physical realm. Make the Holy Spirit known in the physical realm by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so these are the manifestational gifts um, each person, you know, because actually it says, if, if jump down to verse 7 real quick, it, uh, chapter 12, yeah, verse 7. It says, but the manifestation, these are the gifts, of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Each week we've talked about this. How many of you in here are an each one? It says to each one. Every follower of Jesus, every person that's given their life to him, Baptized in the Holy Spirit can work in these manifestational gifts of the Holy Spirit. And let me say this too. Some people teach that it's just, just one gift that you can be used in. Guys, that's not what it's saying. And we'll get to that in a minute. The Holy Spirit can use believers in all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to read on and see what, these, uh, see what these are. He continues in verse 8. He says, For one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another gifts the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things. Spirit, pneuma, they're all by the Holy Spirit, distributing to each one individually as we will, as he wills. Here's the thing with this. There's a lot of spirit-filled believers out there that'll say things to you like, I have the gift of healing. Oh, you do. Or, I have the gift 
of prophecy, or I have the gift of words of knowledge. Let me tell you, guys, we don't have any of these gifts. They're not ours. We don't own any of them. The Holy Spirit has them all. He has them all. And he can use you to work in any one of these gifts whenever he wills. And it said, if you look at it, it says, for the profit of all. Actually, that was back at verse 7. For the profit of all, but the gifts are his. So you can only minister to someone using the gifts of the Holy Spirit when he wills. And like I said, week one, and when you're surrendered. There are people that can't receive this whole baptism of the Holy Spirit thing because they think that the Holy Spirit is going to take over and force them to do something that will embarrass them um, that is outside of their will, against their will. Guys, the Holy Spirit won't make you do anything against your will. God's never made someone do something against their will. So we'll spend, I'm going to spend most of this um, talking about and explaining um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Y'all ready? So the first three gifts of the Spirit we're going to talk about are many times called the revelation gifts. Sometimes they're called the discerning gifts of the Spirit. But these first three, these are some of the things, the apostles and those 120 and the 3,000 that were saved that went forth, these are the things they started seeing come forth in their life through the Holy Spirit. So number one, let's talk for just a minute about the word of knowledge. The word of knowledge. Word of knowledge is knowing something that could not have been known by natural means. Knowing something that could not be known by natural means. Now this sounds real handy, but it's probably not going to be like the lotto numbers. That would be really cool, but that's probably not what's going to happen because it's for the profit of all. It's not given for our benefit. Okay? So I was thinking of some examples. One example, how about when Jesus talks to the woman at the well. And he's talking to her and he says, so, hey, go get your husband, right? And she says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five. And the one you're living with right now, you're not married to. You've actually, (laughs) that's a word of knowledge, I don't believe for one second that Jesus went and investigated this woman's family and set this whole thing up. He got a word of knowledge. He knew something that he could not have possibly known by natural means. You may have had someone minister to you before, and maybe they prayed or said something over you that they couldn't have known, and it took you by surprise. You were like, what? That's when a lot of spirit-filled believers will say, well, that person just read my mail. They, they were probably flowing in, in, a, in the gift of knowledge and, uh, and said some things that, that grabbed your attention. You're like, they couldn't have possibly, they couldn't have possibly known that. Uh, you know, sometimes, and let me tell you, say this too. I was thinking, sometimes as a spirit-filled believer, you don't even know when you're flowing in one of the gifts of the Spirit. Sometimes you're just so surrendered. There's been times that I've, I've ministered to somebody and I've had a word of knowledge and didn't even realize it in a moment as I'm talking to somebody or I'm praying over them or whatever. And I get done and they'll go, why did you say that to me? That just happened yesterday. I, I've, I've been afraid to tell anybody because it's a word of knowledge. It's the Holy Spirit using that gift to knowing something that could not have been known by natural means. Everybody understand? It's the word of knowledge. Second of the revelation gifts is the word of wisdom. 
A word of wisdom is a divine answer or solution for a particular event. A divine answer or solution for a particular event. How many of you think that would be pretty awesome to have in your life? A divine answer when something's going on. In Luke chapter 19, here's another one I thought of regarding Jesus. How about when Jesus sends the disciples into the city? He says, hey, y'all run on into town. There's going to be a colt tied up on this certain corner. And, uh, and some people are going to ask you why in the world you're taking that colt. Uh, here's what I want you to tell them. There's two gifts in work here. What were the two gifts? First is a word of knowledge. I don't believe Jesus scouted the town to find a colt tied up in a specific spot. So he had a word of knowledge. But he also had a word of wisdom. Because the owners of this colt are going to ask these guys, uh, why are you untying my colt? Right? Jesus told them exactly what to say to them, and it says that they immediately let him go with it. Okay? So that's word of wisdom. So maybe you're, maybe you're struggling with a decision in your life, and suddenly someone who, um, who, I don't know, somebody you're close to, somebody who speaks into your life, somebody's praying with you, whatever it is, maybe they suddenly get this divine, supernatural wisdom dealing with your situation by the Holy Spirit. Or... Maybe it's just you, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit can give you a word of wisdom even, even for yourself in regards to you, your family, whatever it may be. Maybe you're dealing with something and you're just struggling. You don't know what the right answer is and you're in prayer and bam, there it is. And you're like, there's the answer. That's what I'm supposed to do. Word of wisdom. Does this make sense? The word of wisdom. So we got the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. Number three is the discerning of spirits. It's to be made aware of the presence of of a demonic spirit, to be made aware of the presence of a demonic spirit. Now, this is not to be confused with discernment. This is discernment of spirits. Discernment is actually not mentioned anywhere in the Bible as being a gift. Really, what discernment is, now, it, we can discern things by the spirit, but it's generally going to be words of knowledge. It's going to be by the gifts. Actual, what, what we generally call the sermon is just how we've learned to read people and their body language and their facial expressions and their tones. And, and I discern this person is not very happy with me, right? <laughs> we, we learned it. Or a lot of times people who say they have the gift of discernment are actually really just critical. Okay? So this is the discerning of spirits to be made aware of the presence of a demonic spirit. So an example biblically of this is Paul and Silas. So they're going around and they're preaching the gospel and here's this girl following them around. Y'all remember this? Following them around and she's yelling out, these men are servants of the Most High. Well, was what she's saying accurate? Absolutely. But we know that she was a fortune teller. They didn't need a witch giving their introductions. And I can only imagine that she was distracting from and, uh, and undermining their ministry. So through the Spirit, Paul recognized, through the Holy Spirit, Paul recognized a demonic spirit, and he cast it out. And we know that got him in all kinds of trouble, right? Um, so... 
Uh, I, know, I know even Sean and I, it's been revealed to us at times when a demonic spirit was coming against us or our children. And would, isn't this a good thing? Wouldn't you want to know if the enemy has a targeted attack against you and demonic influence is coming against you? Yeah, there's been times in my life when I've met people who seemed absolutely ordinary, but immediately recognized that there was something else present. That's the discerning of spirits. So you've got the revelation gifts. So the next three gifts of the Spirit are generally called the declarative gifts. And so the fourth one we're going to talk about is prophecy. Prophecy. This is a message of encouragement from God. Do you know the root word of prophecy is the word encourage? Encouragement? That's what it means. Now, as we talk about prophecy, especially in what would be considered the spirit-filled church, I think that there's still a lot of confusion regarding prophecy. Um, there's a few different things we think of. There is the gift of the, the, I'm sorry, the office of the prophet, somebody who has been appointed and called by God as a prophet for life. They get prophetic words. There is prophe- prophesying by the word of God. How many of you have ever done that before? What this is simply is the circumstances that you're walking through in life don't seem to line up with what the Word of God says. And so you begin to declare, begin to declare and prophesy God's Word over your situation. Make sense? So you have been a good steward of your finances, you're a giver, you've done all these things, and suddenly you lose your job, and you're having a hard time finding a new one, and a couple of weeks in, you, you don't know what you're going to do, and how am I going to pay my bills? And you look in God's Word and say what God's Word says about you. And you begin to speak to, over your own life, and you prophesy to your, over your own life. And you say, I declare by the Word of God, I prophesy that there is no lack in any area of my life, that my Father is my source, and that he owns a thousand, uh, cattle on a thousand hills, and he's always there for me, and he is my firm foundation, and I'm not going to trust in what I see. But you begin to prophesy over the situation in your life. Paul says, for you all can prophesy. It was in, it's in chapter 14, verse 31. He says, for you all, who in here is an all? says you all can prophesy. You can prophesy by the word of God, speaking God's word into a situation. And then you have what we're talking about right now. This is the spiritual gift of prophecy. This is when God uses you or someone to deliver an encouraging message from God. So you may have had this before. How many of you in here would say that someone has given you a prophetic word before? Meaning that they came to you and they gave you a message from God. Um, They may have come and, you know, it it may have been some big official thing or it may have just been one-on-one. Somebody may have just come up to you and said, I just want to tell you that I just kept seeing you this morning during worship. I kept seeing you when I was praying for you last night, and I just felt like the Lord wanted you to know and gives them this encouraging word. Does this make sense? You getting it? Okay. And, you know, and I will mention, too, a couple of the most powerful prophetic words I've ever received that were given to me were very simple. I had a a moment... um, Actually, I'll talk about two. I had a moment years ago where um, I was actually at a church, and it, was, um, it wasn't for a service. It was a, uh, it was a grant writing seminar. 
was at. So it wasn't even technically a Christian event, but the guy leading it was a, was a spirit-filled Christian. And, um, and we're going through all this stuff, and we take a lunch break and come back from lunch, and he gets his PowerPoint up, and he's ready to get started, or he just gets quiet and stands there for a minute. And I'm sitting out there with, I don't know, there was probably 30 or 40 of us, and I was at a place where I was particularly discouraged in my life. And you've been at the place where everything just kind of becomes routine, and you're just kind of going through the motions, and you're kind of going, what's the point? Am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I, am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I making any kind of difference at all? And that, that's kind of the state of mind I was at in that moment. I'm sitting there in this seminar or whatever. And he gets real quiet, and he points to me, and he says, sir, will you come here? I said, yeah. And I came up there. And he goes, I can't get away from this. He goes, I just saw you, and I, I just felt like God just wants you to know that you're where you're supposed to be, and he's got you. Hang in there. And, man, I just became I mean, it was, it, was exactly what I, it was exactly what I needed in that moment. He couldn't have possibly known. It was a message of encouragement from God. I had another moment like that a number of years ago, um, uh, kind of in a similar mindset, actually. I was, going, I was going, God, am I spinning my wheels? Am I, am I, is, is what I'm doing, is, is what you're having me do, is it having any effect or is it making any kind of a difference? I, I, I'm, I'm doing all this stuff, and I, and I felt like I wasn't hearing from the Lord like I did at other times. And any of you ever been there before? And a lady in our church walked up to me, right over here, walked up to me and said, I just felt like the Lord told me to tell you that he sees you and that he's got you. And again, there it was, like that commotion. It was like, ah, just what I needed in a moment. Just that word of encouragement from the Lord. And that is part of the gift of prophecy. Does that make sense? Y'all get it? You get what I'm saying? Okay. So, um, the declarative gifts. Firstly, prophecy. Number two, tongues. Everybody say tongues. Tongues. Told you last week, scary word to a lot of people. Um, we talked about how, you know, a couple weeks ago, it, it simply means language. And uh, we talked about the divine reversal, the Tower of Babel, how they all spoke the one pure language. God confused it. In Acts chapter 2, God brought it all back together. And anyway... Um, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to tongues. And let me, let me tell you this. Um, there, there's two primary places that tongues are used. It, you would have privately and publicly, okay? We're talking about praying in the Spirit, uh, praying in other tongues. Um, praying in tongues, uh, you know, firstly, if we talk about privately, um, the, the first thing you have is um, just your personal prayer language, and the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 14 tells us, it says that we should pray in the Spirit. Actually, it uses the word tongues. And it says that it builds you up. How many of you could use building up? I sure could. So it is for everyone. So regardless of what you've been taught, every Spirit-filled believer can step into that personal prayer language that they have. So this is for you. This is something that you... Um, use on your own. By the way, I didn't give, uh, there it is up there, tongues, a message from God in a language unknown to the person delivering the message. So there's one type of private tongue is your personal prayer language. The second one I was going to mention um, is where the Spirit can lead you into deep intercession and prayer using tongues. Now you may have had this before where maybe you woke up in the middle of the night and somebody was on your mind or on your heart in a real heavy way and you didn't have any idea. What, why, why am I thinking about this person? Why are they all, you 
Spirit. And you thought, well, maybe I just need to pray for him. But you don't even know what to pray. So you just begin to pray in the Spirit. And that's one of those places where we read two weeks ago that sometimes you don't know what to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays through you. This is one of those moments the Holy Spirit will use you and take you into this deep intercession and prayer. And he'll pray the perfect thing on your behalf. Uh, and, and, you know, over that situation or whatever it may be. So that's what you generally see privately. You've got your personal prayer language, and then you've got that, uh, that deep intercession in, uh, in prayer. So then we got the public tongues. And so this would be, this would be more what we're really talking about right here um, as far as the gift of tongues. So, and remembering that it's for the profit of all, right? That's what we saw. The gifts of the Spirit are for the profit of all. So the first type of public tongue we would see would be what we see in Acts chapter 2. That's where they're all praying in the upper room, and all of a sudden the crowd hears the wonderful works of God in their own native language. Um, I, any, anybody ever experienced that before? Seen it? Been A uh, couple? Okay. Um, I, that might be the one I don't know if I've ever seen. Now, I'm normally in an English-speaking crowd. Now, it wouldn't do much good for me to speak, start speaking Swahili at this point, I don't think. Um, but, uh, but anyway, um, that's one of the ways that the Holy Spirit flows privately. You see it a lot of times in you know, uh, situations like this or maybe on the mission field, areas where you've got people that you know, speak other languages, whatever it may be. The second type of public tongue, um, the next type would be a public tongue as a message um, to a person or to people. And um, probably, uh, this is probably more than likely going to take place in the church. And Paul gives very specific guidelines as to how and when this gift is used. It's talking about giving a public um, word, a public message in tongues. Uh, he tells us that if you speak in an unknown tongue to the church loudly for everybody to hear, he goes on to say that you must have an interpreter, uh, someone who gets the interpretation of that by the Holy Spirit. So, man, that's a rough overview, and we can answer more questions about tongues next week if you have questions um, about that. But again, as I closed with last week, guys, nothing in the Word of God, nothing that God has for you, do you ever have to fear. We should not fear the Bible, we should not fear God's word, we should not fear his gifts. So the last of those gifts, of the, of the declarative gifts, is what I just mentioned, the interpretation of tongues. Pretty self-explanatory. The Holy Spirit uses someone to deliver a message in another language and then uses someone else to interpret it into English or whatever the normal language is there. Um, so with that said... Um, the last category of gifts many times are called the power gifts. How many of you have heard of the power gifts or the dynamic gifts? We know um, this, the, we're going to talk about faith, um, faith healings, and working of miracles. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we read this a few minutes ago. Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. What is that power? Well, the Greek word power is the word dunamis, and it, it means, it doesn't just mean power, it, it means explosive power. It, it means, it's, it's actually the, the root word of our English word dynamite, dynamo, dynamic. That's where this comes from. So the last three are considered the power gifts. And so the first of those is a gift of faith. Faith, supernatural impartation of belief and confidence for a specific situation. Supernatural impartation of belief and confidence for a specific situation. So, understand we're not talking about normal faith here. Even Jesus said, we've all been given a portion of faith, right? 
Faith like a mustard seed. Move a mountain. Y'all, y'all know this, right? This, this isn't what we're talking about. Um, we all have a certain impartation of faith. The Bible says that we can build our faith. But in this case, it's different. This is where the Holy Spirit empowers you with this supernatural belief and confidence and faith that you couldn't have possibly had on your own. And also understand that many times when the gift of faith is in operation, or actually many times when the other power gifts are in operation, the gift of faith is, is right there with it. So you'll have the gift of faith when you see the gift of, gifts of healings or the gift of miracles. The gift of faith is in operation there as well. So this is a supernatural endowment of faith that you could not have possibly had on your own uh, in a moment. And so the next gift is healings, the gifts of healings, it says. Supernatural endowments of divine health. How many of you are glad that God wants us healthy and whole? God cares. Jesus said he's to lay hands on the sick and that they will recover. So when he said that, he's talking by the Holy Spirit, about the gifts of healings. That's what you're doing. When you lay hands on the sick and they recover, that's the gift of healings at work. Many people are scared of divine healing today, probably because of what they've been taught or what they've seen on TV. The funny thing is, what I found, many people are against it until they're in the hospital. I don't know how many people I've had that have gone to the hospital and they're sure about that whole healing thing. But then they get in the hospital and they're calling, will you pray for me? And it's like, yeah. And, and can you send out that, that like healing team or whatever you've got? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody starts believing when it comes down, down to that moment. It's kind of like everybody on death row receives Jesus, right? <laughs> Lord, you know. So, so guys, it may have been taught to you this way, but healing did not pass away with Jesus. It did not pass away with the disciples, with the apostles. Guys, I've seen too much. He can't convince me otherwise. God heals today. I've seen him heal almost everything you can ever imagine. We have healings around here all the time that happen. You can allow the Holy Spirit to use you to make a difference in somebody's life. We can talk more about that later if you have questions, but let's go ahead and hit the last one. We're running out of time. Number nine is working of miracles. Working miracles. Working miracles is simply divine intervention that alters our natural circumstances. Divine intervention that alters our divine, our natural circumstances. How many of you would say that you have experienced a miracle in your life? Okay, man. How many of you at least know somebody that makes you confident that God still works miracles today? Here's the thing with the gift of miracles, working in miracles. This kind of thing, it defies, it defies chance and it defines, it defies science, it defies nature, it's supernatural. It's a work that only God can do. How many of you, um, how many of you saw the movie Breakthrough back several months ago about uh, the, the kid from St. Louis that fell through the ice into the lake, and, and we know that he was uh, underwater for 15 minutes before they started trying to resuscitate him. They administered CPR for 27 minutes with no response. Uh, guys, it's all documented. He was dead for 42 minutes, 
And everybody knows, people try to explain it away. Everybody knows that, that you know, a body that dies in a frozen state like that, it, you know, there's a little bit better chance they can resuscitate them a little bit longer than otherwise. This was 42 minutes. 42 minutes. There wasn't any healing to do here. They were trying to haul the mother out the room. And, and the reason, part of the reason I'm bringing that up, Sean and I were at the Gateway Conference a couple of weeks ago, the pastor's conference, and she was there, the mother, the actual mother, and, and her pastor that you saw in the movie. And, um, and, and, you know, if you saw the movie, you know that uh, they, they had stopped. They had stopped all resuscitation efforts and all this stuff. And, um, and they, were trying to, they were trying to get her to let him go, trying to get her out of the room and all this stuff. And she wouldn't, and, and she kind of went hysterical. And she yelled. Her words were, Holy Spirit, please come and give me back my son. And in the movie, you saw it. The very moment she said it, there was a heartbeat. And she verified that. She said it. She said that's exactly She said the very moment she cried out to God, said, Holy Spirit, give me back my son, immediately the heart monitor started registering a heartbeat again. Guys, that's not a gift of healing. That's a miracle. That's a miracle of God. There's no other explanation. People can try and explain things away, but even those doctors, they, they, could, not, they could not explain that. By the way, I mentioned this week one. How many of you in here have surrendered your life to Jesus? You've experienced the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover. Guess what? The greatest miracle of the Holy Spirit's already happened in your life. Greatest miracle that he could ever do has already happened in your life. You had a supernatural, divine intervention that changed your circumstances. Hopefully you're thankful for that. So there are these nine gifts of the Holy Spirit that every believer that's been filled with the Holy Spirit can be used to manifest these gifts. And it's nothing to be afraid of. God is a miracle-working God, and he only gives the very best to his children. If you're a child of God, he desires you to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I read a quote the other day. How many of you love Andrew Womack? Love listening to him. He said, I believe one of the greatest reasons for the, that the body of Christ has not made a greater impact on our generation today is because of our failure to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Without a doubt, Jesus and the first apostles used the gifts like a bell, calling people to their message and confirming that God was truly the one speaking through them. Guys, we need to truly see the gifts of the Spirit restored to the body of Christ. That's the way we see Jesus ministering, just like Jesus. He would go out and he would meet people's need. He didn't go accusing them and condemning them. He went and met a need. And let me tell you what, you pray for somebody to get up out of a hospital bed, they're going to be pretty willing for the prayer what you got to hear. You know, touch their life with the presence of God. They're going to be very receptive. A couple of last things I want to mention before we close. Most of the gifts of the Spirit that we see operating today, most of them are happening within the four walls of a church. That's not what we see in Scripture. People will spend all their time going from revival meeting to revival meeting to see the gifts of the Spirit in operation, to get the touch of the Lord, to feel those Holy Ghost goosebumps. Guys, we weren't meant to follow the gifts. The gifts were meant to follow us. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they shouldn't be used in the church. Absolutely. Yeah, we absolutely should use them together. But I'm also not saying that you shouldn't go to powerful Spirit-filled meetings You should. 
But some people just want the touch. Listen to me. When God touches you and empowers you, it's to do something. I know a lot of people that go from meeting to meeting to meeting for another touch from the Lord, another touch from the Lord, another touch from the Lord, another touch of the Holy Ghost. They ain't doing nothing with their life. He's empowering you. He's touching you, empowering you to do something, to do something great outside of what you could do on your own. We need to go to meetings. We need to seek the Lord. We need to pray in the Spirit. We need to exercise in the gifts. We need to build ourselves up. But then we need to use what God has given us for the profit of all. When the Lord touches, it's not for a good feeling. It's an empowerment to fulfill the Great Commission, to do the Holy Spirit's job, to draw all people to the Father. Next week, I'm probably going to talk about a little bit about the importance of building ourselves up in the Spirit, talking about walking in the presence of God, the anointing. Um, and I want to talk about even some of the weird things that the world sees. The world looks in from the outside and goes, what in the world are they doing? You know, um, I, I, you know, I think it'd be good for us to address some of those things. Also, I don't know if you ever, I, I don't think y'all ever found that slide, but again, if you want to email questions that you want me or Shauna or Pastor Bob to answer next week, um, send it to question at harvestob.org. I'll put it on the, I'll put it on the church um, I'll put it on the church Facebook page so that it's on there. But, uh, but you can send those to us, and, uh, and we will try to answer those next week. But, guys, here's the bottom line. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit today. You can experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You can experience what those 120 experienced on the day of Pentecost and the 3,000 outside experienced as well. You can experience that. We can hear. You can hear. You can hear the Holy Spirit's voice all day long. You don't have to be in church. He can lead you and guide you in the way that you're to go. And, you know, as we talked about week one, he can be your comforter and your counselor. You can have the personal prayer language. You can use it privately to build yourself up. Guys, these things did not pass away 2,000 years ago. And let me tell you, you know, I've talked about, I talked about week one about how, how much of the church is closed off to this. The church is also opening up a lot. Um, more and more, um, I, I'm reading stories of, um, of, of some mainline denominational churches, even Catholic churches that are having these huge um, impartations of the Holy Spirit, and they're getting filled with the Spirit. Uh, you know, you've got, it's, um, there's been a couple stories lately about some Baptist churches that were very closed off to the work of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And, and I think part of what's bridging the gap, I think, is worship today. All this anointed worship that's coming uh, in and it's crossing all the denominational barriers and everything else is bringing the church together in a new way and opening us up that we're all brothers and sisters. We may all believe a little differently, but it's opening up to new ideas and new thoughts um, than the church has ever had before. I told you one of the, my favorite people to listen to is a Baptist theologian. I love John Piper, and he totally believes in the, in the, the gifts of the Spirit in Operation Day. The only difference between he and I is he doesn't believe it's for every person. He believes it's for individual people. So anyway, the gifts of the Spirit, the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, it's for today. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to wait. How do we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit? We talked about this week one. We talked about it's, it's all by faith. Can't see the tongue of fire in your own head. You got to pray, believe, and you got to receive. Amen. Let's stand up on our feet. Worship team's going to come up before we close out. And we're going to conclude this next week. But as worship team comes up, I'm going to ask our prayer partners, our pastors, to come down to the sides and uh, be down here ready to pray. Don't get in the baptismal pool. Wouldn't be good. We don't have any dry towels left. 
Y'all can just come right here in the front. It'll be fine. Let's all bow our heads. Close our eyes. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit today. You may have received that baptism we talked about in that the Holy Spirit drew you and you responded to baptized in fire. The Holy Spirit, like it's talked about. But first and foremost, you do need to receive Jesus. He's the way. The Holy Spirit has been drawing you your entire life back to the Father. Are you ready? The Bible says that Jesus knocks at the door of your heart. It's the Holy Spirit. He's drawing and pulling at every human being on the face of the earth. Every head bowed. If you're here and you would say, I need Jesus today. Guys, it does not matter to me one bit whether you've prayed a prayer before or hadn't, whether you've surrendered your life to Jesus before or not. If you find yourself in a position today where you would say, you know what, my life, I'm living my life for myself. My thoughts are not on him. My life is not surrendered to him. I have not really repented of my old self. I have not turned away from my sin. I need to make a change right now. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand and say, I need to make a change today. I need Jesus. Who in here would say, I need Jesus today? Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. We're going to pray a prayer together. I want you to understand, they didn't even pray prayers to do this in the New Testament church. They just decided to follow Jesus their life. They made the change. They repented and they followed him. We pray a prayer and I think it's a good thing for us to pray a prayer today because it's a, it's a monument. It's a moment that we stop and we remember, I'm, I made a decision. I made an act of my will. I'm not moving from this. So we are, we're going to pray together. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's your heart. I want you to begin to position your heart in a place of repentance. That you're ready to turn from your sin. Doesn't mean you won't mess up again, but you're quick to repent again. And you're ready to, instead of following your way and your dreams and what you think is best, you're ready to follow Jesus to the end. You're ready to allow him to use you in this life. We're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I am so lost without him. Today, I repent of my sin. I repent of my past. I give you my guilt. I give you my shame. I give you every unrighteous act, every unrighteous thought. And I lay it at Jesus' feet. Jesus, I thank you for being my spotless lamb. I receive you as my sacrifice. I thank you that your blood declares me free, that sits on the mercy seat. And even as the accuser comes and tries to remind me of my past, your blood cries out on my behalf. Today I give you all. I declare you Lord of my life and I will follow you to the end. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to do everything you've called me to. I will live this life for you all to the end till I take my last breath. I live for you. In Jesus' name.
If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. I lay down.